Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to take a look at the Azuls. Every single one of them. From the OG <laughs> Azul to stained glass of Sintra to Queen's Garden, you know, the Queen's Gambit, all of them. We're going to look Summer at all Pavilion. of them. Yeah, what, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're going to look at all four of the games and then just kind of compare how each one plays with, against each other, basically. And then our discussion topic this week, we're actually going to be heading to Origins. So when this episode releases, it's actually going to be the Tuesday before Origins. So that we're going to kind of give you our pre-Origins summary, review, I don't know. I don't know what to... Plan. Yeah, like what, we what we're excited doing. for. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of which, side tangent, if a listener is attending Origins and they see either myself or Natasha, please... Please stop us and say hi. Yeah, we would that love would be, that. That would be awesome. That would make our day if a listener came up to us and said, hey, we listen to the show. Even if you think it's hot garbage, you can come <laughs> say, hey, it's hot garbage as long as, you know. If you see us, stop us, say hi. What do you think, Natasha? Should we get into some Azuls? Yeah. Uh, so this week we played all the Azuls. They're um, a tile drafting, tile laying game. They're all designed by Michael Kiesling. Um, the arts by Chris Qualams. Um, they're published by Next Move Games. In the original Azul, players are tile lay- lane artists embellishing the walls of the royal palace of Evora, trying to earn the most points. So you do this by drafting all the tiles of the same color from one of the factory offers or from the center of the table. Once you take tiles from a factory offer, the rest of the tiles are placed in the center of the table, and the first player to grab those tiles also gets to be the first player the next round. But also they put the first player marker on their floor line and any tiles placed there during their turn loses them points. So you get to be first player, but you lose a point. On your turn, you must take tiles if they're still available. You take all of the tiles you grab and place them in, a, in one row of your pattern line. If the pattern line already has tiles in it, you may only add tiles of the same color. If you pick up more tiles than you can place in the chosen pattern line, you must place the excess tiles on the floor line and they will lose you points. The goal of this phase is to complete as many of the pattern lines as you can because during the next phase, you will only be able to move tiles from the completed pattern lines to their corresponding lines on your wall to score points. So then the next phase comes up and that's the wall tiling phase. You move one tile from each completed pattern line over to your wall and score a point for each tile you move. Plus, if it's adjacent to another tile, you also score all the tiles in that row and column that are adjacent. So if there, so there's a lot of strategy in placing the tiles in columns and rows to be able to score the same tile multiple times. Once everyone has completed moving their t- completed pattern lines over, you refill the factory offer and another round begins. As the game goes on, you have less options for grabbing tiles because you can't place the same color tile in a line that already has that color on the wall. What really makes this game so great is the tension the tile drafting brings to the game. As you're selecting tiles, you really want to take the, the best one that's going to that's gonna give you the most points, but also you want to look at what other people are drafting and you might want multiple things. So you're, you're thinking, which one should I grab now so that I have the best chance of getting the other one that I want coming up? But if I push, if I grab this one tile off this factory t- offer, it's going to push all the tiles my opponent wants into the center of the board, giving them a really great, um, easy grab. You know, so there's just a lot of tension in the tiles that you grab. I think that's what I love most about this version, specifically of Azul, is that tension that it creates amongst the players. Because it, since it's a raw drafting game in which you are taking tiles you can get to a point where you're you're like okay i'm going to end up with one of these three just based on turn order and draft structure i'm going to end mm-hmm. up with this how can i position myself in such a way to make the most use out of what i'm going to be left with at the end if that makes sense yeah exactly this game can i, I hesitate to say this game can be mean cuz it can be because mm-hmm. you could end up screwing over one of your opponents just by letting them take a bunch of tiles that they cannot place because mm-hmm. either 
it's already been filled or they don't have any any uh, open lines. So now they have to take them and put them basically on the broken pieces spot on the bottom. So you can lose a ton of points. So you can end up shoving off a bunch of pieces towards uh, one of your opponents and they can end up scoring or losing a ton of points that way. But anytime that's happened to me, I don't feel like people are doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, maybe it does. I mean, anytime you draft, you can hate draft, right? But in this particular case, you know, I don't feel like most people are taking what's best for them and uh, you just happen to get screwed in the end. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of what other people are taking and what other people want because if nobody's going for like those three red tiles and you see another red tile on the factory offer that's going to get slid in there, now there's four. So maybe you want to you wanna, um, take those knowing that nobody else is going to take them because you don't mind three red tiles, but you don't want four of them. So it's, there's a lot of pre-planning and, and decision-making when it comes to uh, the tiles that you take and draft. Yeah, agreed. There, You have to look forward based on what's out there. Because the other thing, too, is, you know, it goes one, two, three, four, and five. Well, I'm not going to start filling something in the five row if I don't think I can at some point accomplish it within that round. Mm-hmm. I may not be able to, but I'm not going to necessarily take a tile and put it down there when there's only three available in that particular round mm-hmm. i'm just not gonna do it you know right not till your last turn and that's all you're left with and you got space for it now right yeah. I, I will say the one issue with this i'll say version because a lot of versions are going to have very similar in terms of scoring by you score points based on adjacency the first time I play it with new players or I'm teaching this game to certain people they don't necessarily understand when i say this is how you score points yeah and typically that very first round we score points and we don't just do it everyone does it simultaneously what we'll end up doing is saying okay let's go over scoring and i'll show you how i've scored these points and then you can see how these and then there's this like click of realization which is awesome when players are like oh so that's how you score points okay well this next round's gonna be different yeah you know so it's yeah it's really cool to see that realization that this is how I'm going to score points. Yeah, it definitely takes the first time around. It's it's a pretty easy game to teach and to, to play, but the scoring does make it slightly tricky, um, especially because the tile that you mo- move over, you're going to score it twice if it's adjacent to a tile that's next to it or above or below it. So you, you're going to score everything horizontally and vertically that's touching it. That's just a little confusing. But yeah, once you do it once, it's you're good, golden. Yeah, people I, people understand. And I think it plays extremely well at two. Yep, I play it a lot at two. And it's just as good. Yeah, it's at all player accounts, I think it's just, it does just as well. Which is, especially with a drafting game, can be pretty difficult to try to accomplish. You know, having mm-hmm. having it play well at all the different player accounts. But I definitely think it plays well at two. It's a very abstract game, but the board is beautiful. The art is gorgeous. And then the tiles are really nice and thick and colorful, and they look like Starburst candy, but they're beautiful, and so you don't feel like you're playing a boring abstract game. I think this is a this is going to be a classic. It will be an evergreen. You know, it's simple and lovely and and easy, but still has a lot of tension, and that's why I love the the Zool game. Well, I mean, there's four versions of it, so it's it's done so well that they've you know, expanded upon the concept and made all these different versions of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. Like those, the chunky bits and the boards are hard cardboard and everything about it just feels well. The only thing that I wish they had included in the base game that they don't is like a, an acrylic overlay, which there's an expansion you can get that covers it and gives you that acrylic overlay. Cause every now and again, you can, you can move it, but mm-hmm. it's not as egregious as let's say terraforming Mars terraforming mars needs overlays this doesn't you can for the most part you can tell where stuff is if you happen to accidentally knock it because you only score you know five times throughout the game usually very rarely does a game go to round six Mm -hmm. all right so let's move on to azul stained glass of sintra so in this game players are furnishing the palace of sintra with the stained glass window panes instead of a player board each player gets eight double-sided vertical pattern strips and a glazier pawn that starts at the leftmost pattern strip players build the stained glass window panes by drafting tiles exactly the same way as azul 
where you select all the tiles of the same color color from the factory offer or the center of the table and you place them in the same vertical window pane. Then you move your glazier pawn to the window pane that you just place your tiles at. The main difference here is that your glazier pawn can only move forward. So if you want to take tiles for a window pane behind him, you have to spend a turn moving him all the way back to the beginning before you can even draft those tiles. Just like in Azul, any excess tiles are considered broken and you lose victory points. There is a lot of strategy around moving your pawn. It can be used as a way to avoid taking tiles you don't want to, so you kind of don't get screwed over as much as in the regular one. Another change about this Azul is that there, there's always, always going to be six rounds, and in each round there will be one color chosen at the start, um, at the setup, that will score extra points in just that round. What makes this game different from Azul is the scoring. So each time you complete a window pane, you score it and all other completed window panes to the right of it. So ideally, you want to score your last window pane first and then move backwards so that you can score that last one over and over again. But in order to do that, you would have wasted a lot of turns moving that glazier pawn back to the beginning. So there's a lot of tension and decisions around that window pane, what window pane to fill and and that really is the heart of this game. Yeah, I I agree. I think the thing that I love the most about this particular version is that pawn. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can, instead of drafting tiles, you can move the pawn flows off that natural drafting cadence where in the original Azul we talked about you can get screwed over with a mm-hmm. bunch of tiles. Well, here, if you move your pawn you can basically throw off the cadence of it so it's a little harder to judge exactly who's going to end up with what tiles. Mm -hmm. So there's a little less forward planning that you can do because, again, people have that option to move and throw off the rhythm of the drafting. But I, I really love that aspect of it. The fact that you can manipulate the draft order I think is great. Yeah, I feel like this is just a slightly more more decision making and a little bit more strategy with what you do on your turn. You know, do you want to try to get as many tiles as you possibly can and move that glazier from left to right and not ever spend a turn moving him back? You won't score as much, but you'll be able to take more tiles. You know, or you're going to go straight to the back, score that, try to complete that last one and then move move backwards and spend more turns, you know, going back to, you know, kind of get more scoring that way. So I feel like this game feels like Azul with the drafting feels very similar that you're filling in your different patterns. You know, the tiles are just as beautiful. The board game's just as beautiful, but there's definitely more. I think there's more strategy with this game. Oh, I, I agree a hundred percent because you have to, you have, you have to plan enough to know where you're going to move your pieces and what tiles you're going to take. So there's a lot more that's going into your turn. Do I want to throw off the cadence by moving my pawn? Do I want to just draft these tiles now? If I do that, how am I going to score points? It's You're trying to maximize the number of points you're scoring based on which columns you fill first, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes players are going to, when you instantly hear how it scores, you're going to try to do score that one as many times as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times... At that point, you kind of know what tiles they're drafting. So you're going to say, all right, you know what? That's not necessarily that important to me. I'm going to try a different route. Mm -hmm. And you can still score quite a bit of points. Yeah, this one has a lot more thought process in each turn. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more to it. It's a little bit more meatier. I agree. All right. So let's talk Azul Summer Pavilion. In this game, players are once again artisans, this time using the finest materials to create their summer pavilion. So you do this, the exact same drafting rules as the first two games. The only exception with this game is that there's one tile that's always a wild tile, and that varies based on the round. So when you take all the tiles of one color, if there's a wild in the factory display or on the center of the board or the table, you you can take one wild. If there's ever a factory display with only wild tiles, you can only take the one. This game is similar to the original Azul where players have their own board with a predetermined pattern that is the same for all players. That was different from the uh, Central, which we didn't talk about. Central, everyone's player board is different. 
because you randomly assign those window panes in here. So this one's similar in the original one where all players have the same board. But this game is different because when you acquire the tiles, you hold onto them, all of your newly acquired tiles, next to your player board. So when you take tiles, you don't place them on your board. You just set them to the side. This is where it's really unique than the first game. The spaces are arranged in a star shape. There are six stars, one for each color tile, and each space has a number, one through six on it. In order to place a tile on the green one space, you would need to just have one green tile and you place it in this spot. In order to place a tile on the purple six spot, you would need six purple tiles, or at least one purple and up to five wilds. You would then place the purple tile on the board and discard the other five tiles. Then there is a star in the middle where it can be any color can be used, but you, you can only end up with one tile of each color in it. There are some other spaces on the board that once surrounded with tiles allow you to take additional tiles laid out on the scoring track. You're going to score points throughout the game. Each time you place a tile next to one or more tiles, you receive one point for each of those tiles. So you want to score them in order so that you're not leaving any holes that prevent you from scoring that, those same tiles each time you add to that star. You score points at the end of the game by completing a star and by completing sets of numbers. At the end of each round, you can keep up to four tiles for the next round, and there's a lot of strategy in that decision as well. Like if you know in the next round orange is going to be wild, you might want to save them for the next round. What makes this game unique and different than the other two Azules is the choices you make about where to place your tiles. So you want to complete the stars in order to score the most points, but you also want to complete certain sections of those for those bonus tiles that can help you get more of the colors that you need. I find this game a lot more straightforward, especially with the scoring. It's very easy to understand and pick up. The only thing that's really, um, the only thing to really learn after the first game is that you won't be able to complete the whole board. In fact, you may, you maybe do half. So you want to make sure you are not spreading yourself too thin that you're going to be able to complete at least a couple of the stars. I think what I like specifically about this game too is when you fill fill certain sections and you surround the different monuments maybe mm -hmm. i don't remember the exact term for them but you can pull tiles from the central board mm -hmm. so you draft all these tiles and then you have these tiles out and that's the reason why you wait until the very end to play because if you fill it then in turn order you're going around and then pulling tiles from the center so you can pull i think at most you can pull up to three tiles which I mean, there could be three wilds, so you could end up pulling three different ones. Mm -hmm. So that concept of being able to draw additional tiles from the center of the board gives you more options as to how you're going to fill in your board. But I agree, you're going to, you need to make sure you focus on filling at least a couple of those stars. I don't know if, I think if you, I would say is if you go through a game and you don't fill in at least one, you probably aren't going to be competitive. No. In the game. You get the most you get the most points from filling in the stars, plus every time you add a, a tile to each star, you know, the first one you get one point, the second one you'll get two, the third one you'll get three. You can get up to six points if you get all six of them in there. Um and you know, that's five points and six points. That adds up as well. So you really need to finish at least two stars, I think. Yeah, that would be the ideal situation. I think the game we recently just played, I I did one, and I was actually a lot closer than what I thought because I was I was trying to do something slightly different with that. Mm -hmm. But having just done one star, I was still within probably ten points or whatever towards the end. So it was I was pretty you know, close. Yeah, I finished last, but it was still I was still close and a lot closer than I thought I would be. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, this one I think like the wilds make it slightly more complicated because each you know round a different one is wild but it's always the same so purple is always the first one to be wild that keeps it pretty consistent other than that i think this game is the most straightforward it's the easiest to understand the scoring it's the easy it's pretty easy to understand you know that you need one tile for the one spot two for the two spot and on up and it needs the colors need to match you know it's not i think it's the simplest out of all of them yeah, I would agree. I think it is too. And it gives you more wiggle room having wilds. It's not as restrictive as the other Azuls can be mm -hmm. based on the fact that you have these wild tiles that you can use. Just saying wild tile sounds fun. Wild tile. <laughs> but just the fact that you have these tiles that can do anything and then you have the ability to know what's coming up. 
So maybe, yeah, the first round, all of them are purple, but maybe round two is green. So you just scoop up a bunch of green, just plan on holding them till the next round Mm -hmm. in order to use them as wild for that following round. So there's a lot of good, good decisions to be made. But yeah, I think it's probably the most straightforward and least restrictive. Yeah. Of of all of them. It's not near as punishing because you can almost always do something with the tile tiles that you get because even if you've already filled in a entire purple star you get the center one that you can use those tiles to fill in that and so there's you're just never really screwed over it's definitely more i don't know it's my son's favorite i think he enjoyed it the most um i think it's the most like easy breezy less stressful there's just not near as much tension you kind of want to just try to get as many tiles as you can because you know you'll use them for something yeah, that's pretty much it. You want to try to, uh, your goal is to acquire as many tiles as you can. Mm-hmm. So I think it's got the least amount of strategy in that because you're always just trying to get the most tiles. All right. So let's go from simplest to most difficult. Yeah, heard pretty anything much. Yeah. About Azul the Queen's Garden, you'll know that it is definitely the most complicated. So in this one, the players are constructing a garden. You do this Weird. by, yeah, by drafting tiles. Again, but this draft is a little different. This time the tiles, um, there are six-sided hexagons. So the first two were squares. The Summer Pavilion was uh, these cute little diamonds. Uh, oh, by the way, I, I think Summer Pavilion is the most beautiful one. Well, we could have saved you could have saved that for the very end. Yeah. Well, I, know, spoiler alert. I will for talk about the we... art and the other ones. Summer Pavilion is, I think, the prettiest. But anyways, these tiles in the Queen's Garden are six-sided hexagons. And there are six colors, and each tile has a picture on it. So they have uh, six different pictures. And each of the pictures represents a number value, one through six. So when you draft the tiles, you choose one feature, a color, or a number, and you take all of that value. So you can take all of the yellow tiles, regardless of the picture, or you can take all of the butterfly tiles, regardless of the color. The twist here is that not all the round tiles are out in the beginning. You start off with just four tiles on top of the garden expansion board once someone takes a tile off the first offer you put out another garden expansion board and put four more tiles on it once all four tiles are taken off of any one of the expansions they get flipped over to reveal another hexagon tile with a color and pattern on it that is treated exactly like any other tile so this is a a garden expansion so in order to continue building your garden you need to add these like bigger tiles and then within that garden expansion tile there's the um, hexagon picture on it just like the plasticky tiles that you're drawing um and then when you're drafting instead of only drafting off of one factory offer or one tile offer you're drafting off of everything that's out there so that's the big difference with the drafting another change is that each player has two boards one board is the garden and each player starts off with six open garden spots the other board is a place to store your tiles until you're ready to place them Similar to Summer Pavilion, you're going you're gonna to draft tiles and place them to the side. This It can hold up to 12 tiles and two expansion boards. Or the little expansion tiles are little cardboard boards. Another difference is that during the drafting phase of this game, you, either, you can either draft tiles or you can take the tiles from your storage board and move them onto your garden board. So you don't draft them all and then all put them out like you do in Queen's Garden. You draft some, put some out, draft some more, put some out. You know, maybe maybe you'll draft a bunch until you, your board is full and then start putting them out. So as your storage boards fill up, you can stop drafting, place some tiles on your board, then go back to drafting more tiles. This continues until everyone passes. So taking tiles is always an option. Nobody is forced to take the last tiles. But usually someone will always want them because they can use them to pay the cost of adding other tiles to the garden. Placing your tiles in the garden is probably the biggest difference in this Azul. The garden is completely open, so you can place your tile tiles anywhere you want without any restriction as long as it just has an open spot you just have to pay the cost this is similar to a summer pavilion where you pay the the number where the number comes into play if you are placing one tile then all you need is just one of those tiles but if you're placing a level six you need to have six tiles of the same color or the same number and you place one on the board and then the rest get discarded now, I said you can place the garden tiles wherever you want, and that is true to start, but as you go on, there are some restrictions. You can always place a garden tile, including the new the expansion boards, without any adjacent tiles next to it. But if you have to place a tile next to another tile, then at least one of them, one that is already there, has to have the same pattern or color on it. 
Once you have two tiles of the same color or pattern touching, they become a group, and a group of tiles cannot have any identical tiles in it. And this is really the heart of the game. Each group will score at the end as long as they have at least three hexagon tiles, including the one from the garden expansion board on it. And you score for the value, the number of the tile. So if you have a group of three trees, which are number one, you would get one point for each of them. And if they were six tiles, you would get 18 points. Now, if each of these groups has a yellow tile in it, and they are touching each other and at least one more yellow tile, you would score them again for being a group of the same color as you would get one point for your one, your tree and six points plus whatever the other hex has a value is valued at. You will also score six points if, if you complete a whole group of six. Now, this game also comes with special plastic wild tiles. Every player starts out with three and you can earn more throughout the game by surrounding landmarks in your garden. They can't be placed in your garden, but they can be used to pay the cost of placing other tiles out. What makes this game fun is the puzzle of where to place your tiles. You want to work on getting all six in the set, but because the tiles are six-sided, each tile can be belong to multiple groups, and then each of those tiles can score twice, which is huge, especially for those that are valued five or six. This game is something. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's oh man, okay, it's a lot. So there's the dra- <laughs> there's the drafting from the original Azul. There's the fact that you can break the cadence from the second Azul. There's the fact that you can like keep tiles round and round from the third Azul. There's a bunch of like calico in this with having different color tiles and different patterns and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This game has a ton going on in it. The leap that this game makes compared to the, the previous Azul, how it goes from basically the easiest Azul to the most difficult. Mm hmm is ridiculous to me it there's just so many different things going on that surprisingly enough i was not a big fan of calico Uh but this for whatever reason clicks fine in my brain i don't i don't know why but different than calico the only similarity to calico is that you have colors and patterns and you're trying to create adjacency with them and Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the man, this game just pulls from almost everything to create this complex Azul-style game. The fact that you're not only drafting tiles, but you're also drafting garden beds in order to expand your board. Because if you don't do that, then you won't be able to expand your board. So you have to do that. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can pass and keep up to, you can keep what up to 12 tiles technically. Mm-hmm. If your entire thing is full, then you can pass and move on to the next round Mm -hmm. you know the fact that you have these wild tiles again that that you earn is similar to the you know queen's garden where you're able to earn them based on surrounding the uh it's not monuments what is it these are like uh, garden features like a fountain and a gazebo right so yeah you surround it and you get yeah you get some additional wilds that are you know obviously going to help you I think the artwork is cool because especially the patterns on them let you know how many they're worth. Mm-hmm. There's usually, okay, like the butterflies, there's going to be three butterflies. The flower is going to have four points in a stem or whatever. So there's there you can look at them and kind of just know that this is how much they're worth, which mm-hmm. I think is cool. And yeah, there's definitely a lot more going on in this game. If you have AP, this game will trigger that, I think. Yeah. It's it's complicated. It's a little tricky to learn with all the rules of paying for your tiles. It's, I think, similar to Summer and Pavilion where the numbers matter and you have to pay that many. So if you've played that before, that'll help. But way more complicated because because of the color in or number. So you can pay with color or you can pay with number, but it has to be all the same color or all the same number. Oh, but also you can't have any duplicate tiles. So you can't pay that dark purple butterfly with another dark purple butterfly. It has to be all of their butterflies or all of their purples or all of their butterflies. Yeah. So if you were paying purple, you would have to either do, if you had two purple butterflies, you would have to do a purple butterfly and like a purple tree or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a, that's complicated. And then on top of that, the scoring's definitely complicated. You know, the, the numbers are easy to count you know figure it out like the trees are only worth one you know the six the six flowers are worth six 
and whatnot, but you only score the ones that are um, a group of three. You know, that that's a little tricky. My um, my son had a really tough time grasping the score of it and just, you know, he could he totally understood how to play the game. But, you know, what where to place the tiles, how to you know, how he's going to benefit the scoring like that. He just could not grasp it all. Well, it's complicated. There's a lot of intricate details and a lot of, yes, you can do this, but not that. Mm-hmm. When you draft these cards, you can do these things. There's some in-game scoring, too. So, like, the first round, you're going to score, you know, two two colors and one shape. The second round, you're going to score another different color and two of the shapes, one point for each one you have on your board. I feel like that scoring is a little needless, right? Like, I don't, I don't think you, I think you can play the game without that. It just adds a little fiddly touch to it. I disagree. I like having that in there. And the, but to that point, I like having them in there. I don't like the fact that they're the same game to game to game to game. I think you, if you gave the ability to rotate them or change them in some way, or randomly select them. Yeah, random. Yeah, exactly. So let's say round one instead of it being green trees and blue tiles. I can make it, okay, it's going to be butterflies, trees, and blue tiles or whatever. Just give me the ability to change that. I think that would be better. But most of the, like, probably 80% of the scoring or more is more than likely done at the end of the game when you're doing your groupings. Yeah. So it's almost kind of hard to know where you sit, where in the other Azul's you, you have an idea because you're scoring like round to round to round. Mm-hmm. This one you don't. So... There's going to be way more end-game scoring in this one than there's going to be in any of the other Azul's. Yeah, I think it just makes it just slightly more complicated, but I don't think it matters that much. You know, you're really wanting to prioritize end-game scoring over that because those little scoring throughout the game are they're small. They're one one or two points here. You know, for each tile, it's nothing opposed to, like, the, the six points you're going to get for each six tile you've got out there. Yeah, you definitely want to plan for that end the end scoring mm-hmm. for sure. And if your six tile is in a group of six, you'll score all the sixes. And then if your six tile is in a, in a group of yellows, you'll score that six tile again for it being in a group of yellows. And and have being able to again score those same tiles multiple times is really, you know, the strategy in the heart of the game. Yeah, I would agree. I love garden theme. I don't like the colors in this game. There's dark purple, light purple, dark green, light green. I maybe it's probably colorblind friendly because the shades are different, but um, like it's just difficult to say. Like I'm gonna take all the dark green. Like I just wish they had different colors. I don't mind the pictures that represent a number, but it's not really super obvious. It will be once you, by the end of the game you'll have figured it out pretty quickly. But I don't love that. I wish it was like maybe a fl- a flower on you know represented each number so the one tile had one flower the five tile had five flowers i think it was i wish it was a little bit more straightforward and then the the player boards are really thin cardboard not even cardboard they're like papery thin but you do put the cardboard garden squares out that you place the plastic tiles on top of but the plastic tiles are pretty you know yeah i mean the the tiles in all the games seem to be pretty good i I think the color thing is 100% legit, and I think it's it's actually worse for colorblind people. I think people with any sort of colorblindness, you can't see like certain shades. So the dark blue and light blue, they probably won't be able to differentiate the difference. I mean, maybe they will, but you know, I'm not colorblind, so I don't necessarily know, but it's one of those choices that I don't think will benefit that. I don't know. I don't know the, the reasoning behind it. I don't like it. It's just complicated, like dark blue. Or dark purple, light purple. You know, just I would wish it was a different color. But I yeah, like the I theme. I like the garden theme. It's pretty. Let's discuss all of them. Since you brought you brought up components, let's talk components about all three real quick. Okay. okay. So the first Azul, everything in that game is the is great. The pieces are chunky. The the yeah the player boards are great. Mm-hmm. All of it is cool. The one thing that they included in the other three games that they did not include in this game is essentially a storage container for the tiles because you'll have a little box in the other three that when the tiles get discarded, you can just throw them in there and then it's easier to throw into the bag when you draw them, Mm -hmm. which I kind of wish they would have 
put in the original, but they just didn't. The second one, again, I think all of them are cool. The tiles are different enough. They have that almost translucent kind of feel to them, mm-hmm. which I think are are really cool. I really like those pieces. I think the player components are good. Same thing with the third one. The tiles in that, again, are chunky. They you know, The diamonds are chunky. They're, they feel good. Mm-hmm. The player boards are good. And then you move into the last one. The tiles are good. Mm-hmm. But those player boards, man, Cheap. They, like you said, they're flimsy and just, ugh, yeah, I don't know. They leave kind of like a sour taste in my mouth, you know? And I agree. Yeah, we're putting those garden plots on them, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's makes up for the fact that the player boards are so chintzy. Even take the the storage boards, even those are chintzy. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think it's, it was an odd choice that last one just feels different mm-hmm. than the other three. I think it's because the garden tiles are cardboard. So you place the, you've got your player board, then you place these uh, cardboard garden tiles on top of your player board, and then you place those plastic tiles on top of that. So yeah. by the time you've got it built up, it is solid. But it, but yeah, when you pull it out of the board, pull it out of the box, it's kind of flimsy. And yeah, I don't really understand why. Let's talk, talk difficulty. Clearly the easiest is... Summer Pavilion. Yep. And the thing is with that game, I struggle because it comes down to just take as many tiles as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's all the strategy. There's not nearly as much strategy involved in that particular game, which is a little unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But especially because I do like the fact that you have, you know, the wild tiles you're able to draw from the center, I think is cool. I think the concepts are cool, but it almost makes it too easy to play the game mm-hmm. it's just a little too free-flowing yeah right i enjoy it quite a bit actually but it, yeah the strategy is just not there the tension's not there it doesn't yeah there's it's one of those games that you just kind of want to like eh, let's play a calm relaxing game mm-hmm. okay let's bust this one out yeah you know? i enjoy it a lot more than i probably should you know it's not as as good as m- i enjoy it <laughs> i still yeah, enjoy it fair. more than i should i think i mean you can be wrong it's no big deal um <laughs> Then we, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we got the most complicated one, which is Queen's Garden. Yep. And man, does that game have a lot going on in it. it there's a lot to think about when you're drafting. Because the thing is, like you said, you're not necessarily even drafting tiles. You're drafting garden plots too. Like you can say, I'm going to pick all the purple ones and end up with a garden plot. Yep. But you, you can know? only have two, so you got to place it out eventually. Yeah, I I love the puzzliness of it. it. It's hard to compare it to Azul, though. It doesn't feel like an Azul game. It feels like a heavy, I shouldn't say heavy, but it feels like a meaty puzzle game, right? And, yes. and it's really um, thinky and, and in all the good ways. Yeah, it definitely takes Azul and pumps it full of steroids and gives it to you, mm-hmm. which, yeah. In a pretty little garden theme. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And then, so you have... So then you have the other two, the original OG Azul and then Stained Glass and Sentra. And what I really like in Sentra is the fact that you can break your cadence when it comes to drafting tiles. Mm-hmm. But I do not like it nearly as well as the original. And maybe it's because of the scoring and the fact that you score everything behind and everything like that. I think that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Plus, you're you're more restrictive on where you're able to place the tiles that you draft based on where your little pawn is, mm-hmm. and maybe just a too restrictive. And it's certainly really punishing with the broken tiles. You score negative points a little differently. They compound each time you, you know, get a tile. It compounds where the other one is, you know, by within the round. Yes. You know, it's it's definitely more thinky and in a really good way. I like all that, but. I still like the OG just slightly better because it, because I think it's just simpler. And you do end up sometimes getting screwed over with tiles at the end, and people can you do you definitely do get screwed over with tiles at the end. But I don't think that necessarily means that you're going to lose the game if you get stuck with some tiles. Like sometimes that happens, mm-hmm. but you can still you can still score quite a few points. It's not like once you get stuck with a bunch of tiles, like you're completely out of it. And sometimes you take, you take additional, you take those tiles knowing you're going to lose points because it's worth it. 
yeah, sometimes you're going to score nine points and lose two. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that positive seven points is a lot. And I think there that one creates the most amount of tension amongst all the the players because you don't want to be that person that ends up with a bunch of tiles you can't use. So there's definitely that tension that you feel within that game. Let's rank them. Okay. Your, your, let's go from the bottom up. Your least favorite. Stained Glass of Sintra. I'm going to say Summer Pavilion. Okay. Third. What are you going to say? Summer Pavilion. I'm going to say Stained Glass of Sintra. <laughs> I think, I think we, everyone knows where this is going. Okay, number two. I'm going to say The Queen's Garden. Queen's Garden, and the the first one is going to be the regular OG. OG is there's just something so pure about that game uh-huh. that I really like, and I keep coming back to it. If people are like, "You want to play Azul?" Like, I want to do that one, and maybe it's because of the familiarity and how easy it is to teach, and the fact that it's the purest of the four. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I don't know. It's I I like that one the best. Like all yeah. the other ones are pretty decent. I think they all have like their place and their people are certainly going to like them. If you want something that's a little less restrictive, a little bit more open, you're clearly going to want, you know, Summer Pavilion. That like that game's the probably the game for you. Mm-hmm. If you got kids that you want to play with, that's probably the best one cuz you're not going to have any of those feel bad moments of sorry, you got six tiles you can't use, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, exactly. And then you have the gamery one, which is going to be Queen's Garden. Like that is a, I mean, that is a heavy game because you're trying to figure out all the different puzzle pieces as far as the colors and as far as the shapes and trying to put them on there and trying to maximize the amount. Mm-hmm. That's very gamery. And I think, you know, I don't know, stain, stained glass might be number four. It just, something about it, just maybe it's because the scoring is a little wonky and that compounding negative points. I just, some people, I, I do know a lot of people like it the best. It's funny how good all of these games are. Like, yes. I think they're all good. Like, I love the original Azul, and I like this Queen's Garden quite a bit. I really enjoy playing it. I'm going to keep both of them. I have the two, um, and I think that's good for my collection. You know, I think I've got a game that I can teach new players, and then I've got a game that I can play with my people who love Azul and want to get deeper. I can play the heavier one, the Queen Queen's Garden. And I think that hits just the right spots. I think each Azul has its place within a specific collection, mm-hmm. just depending on what the player, what people are looking for. I think, yeah, they all have their place. They all have their place. They're all good. Like, that's the thing. Like, they really killed it with this series. They're all solid, good games, and you could own any one of them or all of them and enjoy playing them individually. They're not just like Azul 1, 2, 3, and 4. They're yeah, very I different. Agree. They're very unique. Um, but they still have that same drafting mechanic and um, they're just beautiful like to hold, to touch and to hold on to those nice tiles. Um, the, everything about it is just, they're just great games. Yeah, they're very well done games. So check, check them out. Those are the Zool games. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to go ahead and discuss Origins. All right, welcome back. Next up, I want to talk about Origins. I love Origins because I love to go to conventions and play a bunch of board games, and that's pretty much all I do at Origins. I know that there's a lot of games you can check out and see, and that's that's fun too, but um, I mostly go for the board games. Bob, why do you like to go? To conventions or Origins specifically? Origins specifically. Uh, um, Origins for me is definitely the convention where you sit down and play games like you said Mm -hmm. so i definitely enjoy just having a bunch of time free to to play games Mm -hmm. and being able to interact with different people being able to do you know those longer games that sometimes you just don't get a chance to do at game night yep you know Mm -hmm. just because you have the time to do it which is awesome because how many times you go to game night you might have three four hours but then you want to play two games yeah. Yeah. Sometimes one time, one year at Origins, um, I played Scythe like three times in a row. It was the best. I played with this guy. He had all of the, all of the expansion, all the pimped out pieces. It was a beautiful game. And like 
we played it together and I was like, ooh, you want to play again? He's like, sure. And everybody else laughed. So we had like four new people or like three other people that came in and we did like three or four times. It was so fun. Like I had never played like three or four games a size in a row any other time besides that at a convention. And it was great. I loved it. Yeah, it just gives you an opportunity to just, yeah, just play. Like uh, that's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. For me, though, part of the other fun that I have specifically in conventions is the vendor hall. I really mm-hmm. like wandering the vendor hall. Generally speaking, if I'm not playing a game, you can probably find me wandering around like talking with people at at the vendor hall. What do you like to look at or look for? You know, so uh, as far as my con experiences, I I've been dedicated mostly to Gen Con. Mm-hmm. The la- uh, before the pandemic hit, pretty much every year I was going to Gen Con, and Gen Con is a big release event. They're the two main, you know, obviously release for board games tends to be Gen Con and Essen. Mm-hmm. So at Gen Con, what was nice is when you wander the convention hall or the vendor hall, you're able to see all the new games and you're able to, you know, a lot of times sit down and demo them. And that's what I really like, just seeing all the new stuff that's coming out. Mm-hmm. That was true with Origins a few years ago, pre-pandemic. Um, they spoke a lot. Like the time, the timeline was like Origins, Gen Con, Essen. Like all oh, this game's coming out at you know this is de- this is previewing it. It's going to come out at Gen Con or, or it's going to come out at Essen. That was kind of the speak. I think that's really changed a lot um, post-pandemic. I think that you know publishers have every intention of it coming out at origins but it's not making it in time because they don't have control over that you know i think there it's definitely feels a lot different this past year yeah my first year going to origins was last year and it was a lot smaller and they had pushed it from the summer which is normally in june and they pushed it to august mm-hmm. no october we pushed it to october right we went in october yeah we went in october okay so they so obviously they pushed it because of the pandemic and everything and so that the my understanding is the vendor hall was a lot smaller than it normally is, but it still was fun to go and see some of the new games that are coming out. I really enjoy being able to play the new games that have just released. You know, they'll teach you how you sit down. They'll teach you how to play. You can play a round or two and then you can decide if you like it or not. I enjoy that. What I don't enjoy is when it's a preview copy or a. Um, like not a, the published one, like, oh, it's coming out next year or, oh, it's coming out. A at, demo, like a, a demo, demo copy. copy. Yeah. That frustrates me. Like, I don't want to play your game if it's just a demo. If I can't, if I love it and can't take it home with me, then I don't even want to play it. I'll rather just wait. <laughs> and maybe this is why I don't do Kickstarters. Like, I'll just no, wait. This is exactly why you don't do Kickstarters. This, is, this right here is the reason why. Yeah. I don't want to wait. I want to play it now. And so when I found out that they were doing that the first time I went and I was like, well, is this game out or is this a demo? And like, it's a demo. I'm like, nope. I'll wait till it's out and then you can teach me how to play and then maybe I'll buy it. What about a game that is technically out and it's getting reprinted soon? For example, Honey Buzz. Yeah. With Honey Buzz, we had a chance to uh, play it was slightly. It a tease. I had to wait forever for it to come out. You don't, do you order stuff on Amazon? Yeah, but that comes like the next day. So you need that instant, like instant surge of serotonin or whatever, right? Like, well, no. Not not typically. I like to buy games that I know I'm going to play like with a plan of playing it, right? I don't want to buy it and think, I'm going to play this in the future someday. Like, I even games I love, I try to wait until I, I'm like, okay, I have a reason to buy it. I'm going to play this game. You know, so like planning it out like a year in advance or six months in advance or even a couple months, I don't know. I'll play it then. See, this is why this is the one of the main differences between you and I, because it's also one of the things that I've done at Gen Con that I like. And I, I don't know if Origin I have to look to see if Origins is doing it. I just honestly haven't had an opportunity to at the time of this recording, I haven't had an opportunity to really look at a bunch of different events. I have been, but I love like playtesting games. Do you? Yeah, I actually enjoy it. The fact that sometimes it's just like handwritten notes on <gasps> cardboard pieces or whatever i sometimes i enjoy doing that and then providing constructive feedback after the game's done because in gen con there is the first exposure hall 
where you can sign up and then just go play test games. And they can be in a variety of versions. They can be things that are almost completely finalized or they can be in, uh, again, that handwritten state. But I don't know. I just, I enjoy doing stuff like that. Well, I'm glad there are people that enjoy that, but no thanks. <laughs> See, you got the, you know, it gives you something to look forward to. No. You'd be like, oh, I yeah, so I remember many playing this right game. now. But I have too many things to do right now that stresses me out. Like, I need anything in the future is off my plate. It's not my problem until the future. Right now, I'm just focusing on what I can do right now. So, you need some forward thinking. You no. need to know that there's going to be good games down the road. And you need to, in order to do that, you have to play test them. No, I have to let somebody else do that. That sounds Yeah, you like let work. me do it. And then when I'm like, oh, I remember this game, you'd be like, is it any good? I'm like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. You wouldn't even tell me. I mean, well, I probably if you wanted to play it. If it wasn't I probably good. would. Honestly, I'd probably bring it to game night and say we're playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be fine if it was an actual real game. Yeah, I don't know. I like I said, I I really like the. I, re- I don't know. There's something about that vendor hall. The problem too is the small publishers typically don't get a lot of social media highlights. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you'll see all the big publishers with their game Z-Man, all these other ones, but then you have a lot of these like smaller publishers. Like, you know, we just interviewed Mark from Grand Gamers Guild. He's a smaller publisher. He's going to be at Origins. It gives him an opportunity mm-hmm. to like share his games with people because it's not, he doesn't necessarily get as much buzz because he's a smaller publisher. You know, Smirk and Dagger, Smirk and Laughter, they tend to be smaller publishers. So it's cool to be able to go to these publishers and have them just tell you what they have coming up, what kind of games they got going on. There's a lot of RPG stuff a lot of times too that I can go and I can look at. There's always random DM stuff that you can use. There's always new gadgets, new dice, new everything. So the accessories you can pick up like the dice trays or the dice towers, all these little bits and pieces and yeah, nerdy stuff. Artwork, there's a lot of artwork. Yeah, I also like going through that and checking out the different types of play mats they have and yeah but origin specifically for me because even looking at the preview on board game geek for origins i think there's only like 20 122 games at the time of this recording mm-hmm. 122 games and there's a few that i'm interested in looking at because i haven't seen anything but aside from that i think most of them have either been released or soon to be released Mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot on there that already have a lot of buzz so some of the games that i'm interested in actually looking at is that foundations of rome which just came out pretty recent and they're supposed to have copies there i know our local uh one of our local game stores has copies of it but mm-hmm. it's one of those games that for the price point like i'd want to play before actually getting up because all those pieces look cool but that is a giant box is that the actual retail version i assume that was a kickstarter version that they were selling so the version they're selling at the store is a kickstarter version but i don't know what's the difference between a normal version and a kickstarter version it's like a ticket to ride but like stacked like way up like four of them yeah like four copies of ticket to ride stacked on top of each other but if you pull out the bits like there's individual trays that everyone has their own set of buildings and stuff it looks cool. I've I've listened to some other podcasts and I've I've watched a few things and it sounds like the gameplay is good but not as in-depth strategic as what the price point suggests. Mm-hmm. So think Century Spice Road but completely like with like lavish minis and and they're they're not minis but they're sculpts. Yeah, sculpts and structures and stuff. So think that kind of level. And that's what I'm interested in. Would I spend, you know, it's listed on Board Game Geek at 140 bucks, which I assume is the retail version. And again, I don't know what the difference is, but would I spend that on a game for gameplay that's, you know, good, but not one of those Um, things that for me, it's not like a deep Euro game that I'm like, ooh, this is something I can really sink my teeth into if it's a game like, yeah, you know, it's good and I'll bring it out from time to time, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, does it does it really? I mean, it's gonna take a whole shelf. It is. It take and that's shelf space comes at a premium these days. You know, mm-hmm. you got you got to factor that in when you're buying games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't fit another um, IKEA shelving unit in your basement. 
Yes, I can. Just I just gotta get creative. I'll move the bar. Is what I'll do. I'll get rid of the bar and then. <laughs> Because in my in my game room, I have two of those five by five IKEA shelves. Mm-hmm. Then I have obviously the gaming table in the center, but then I have this like little bar or whatever, and it could eventually be a wet bar if I wanted to. But right now, it's not. It's just a regular, just dry bar or whatever that kind of sits there. I'll get rid of that and then throw another IKEA shelf <laughs> over there. So last year at Origins, I took a uh, minis painting class. And that was so cool. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I never did any miniature painting. I'm not a painter at all. Um, but taking the class made me think, oh, I could actually do this. And I started last winter. I did a bunch of miniature painting. And that was a lot of fun. I highly recommend if you're interested um, checking out those classes. Those are cool. Yeah. And they walk you through the entire process, right? Yeah. They're like, this is how you, you know, they give you some tips and, and show you how to do it. And at the end of it, I'm like, oh, this looks like pretty decent and i knew nothing about painting it's really a lot of technique you know and they taught you like the shadowing and the highlighting and it was cool it was really 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 interesting and that gave me a whole nother hobby well you didn't you paint onk all of onk Mm -hmm. yeah okay and there's something about having that whole thing painted that is pretty pretty sweet yeah, yeah, and that's just, I'm not an artist at all, and I could do it. I think it's, if you're interested at all, it's a lot of fun. Um, in the past, they've had the board game room. It was $20. You had to pay for it, and it was kind of a smaller room. Last year, they really increased it. It was huge, and this year, they're making the board game room part of the, your ticket price, so everybody will be able to get in and use the, their board gaming library and play games, and so I'm anticipating that that room is really big this year. Um, which is cool because I think that's a big reason why people go is for that board gaming room. And you know, you never know how good the selection of games are going to be when you go to something like that. Because mm-hmm. sometimes they're just not great and you're always searching for something. But last year it was good. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And it's a local group that does that. And then I know a lot of publishers will donate more hot games to them so they can get played. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was surprised. The selection is actually really good, and it's actually really easy to find. It's all color-coded and shape-coordinated, so different cabinets are going to have different shapes and then or different colors, and then you get shapes based on where the games are and everything like that. It makes it really easy to find. Mm-hmm. And if you want to play a game and you don't have anybody to play it with, you can grab a cone, set up the game, put a cone up that you're, you're looking for players, and people can stop and play with you. And so it's a great opportunity to play these games that you don't typically get to play at home. Maybe your friends aren't into the game or something like that. You find somebody that's willing to teach it to you. That's yeah, my favorite part. Is having somebody teach you a game? Yeah. Learning new games. Being able to play new games with people. Wait, wait, wait. We need. I want to clarify. Learning new games or having somebody teach you a new game? Having somebody teach it to me. I'm not going to learn it myself. I won't play it. Unless, I don't like reading rule books. I won't play it. I'm not going to waste my time at a convention reading a rule book. If I if somebody can't teach it to me, nope. I'm going to nope out of that so fast. <laughs> my, I'm so trying to play as many possible games as I can. That is my goal. Uh, whether I do that within the convention hall, like the publisher's teaching me a game, and maybe I'll just play a few rounds. That's fine too. you know. Or play in the board gaming room with you or with random strangers as long as I'm learning and playing games. We're playing games I already love. That's fine too. Do you have a specific number of games you want to play? Like, do you want to say, all right, I want to play, have at least no. 30 plays? No, but that'd be good because I, I might play a big heavy game. I'd love to play maybe Rising Sun. I don't get to play that at home very much. So that'd be cool. At the start of the episode, I said, hey, if you watch this podcast or you listen to this podcast and you see us at Origins, stop by and say hi. Second thing, I'm going to amend that. I'm going to say, if you see us at Origins, say, hey, let's go play a game. It No matter if, unless I'm engaged in a game already, if I'm not doing anything and you say, hey, Bob, let's go play a game, I'm down. Let's mm-hmm. go play a game. Especially if it's Great Western Trail, Bob would love to play that with you. Oh, yeah, for sure. And if you whoop me at it, cool, because then I know I'm hot garbage at that game. <laughs> that would work perfect for me. I'm, you know, one of the things that people don't necessarily talk about, and I'm, I'm curious because it came up the last time we went, where should people go to get food? Ooh. Cause, cause you go to a convention and there's always hot spots and there's always people there. Like you have to go try this. Mm-hmm. What are your, some of your favorite places to go when you go to Columbus? 
I have two places. One's the North Market, obviously. Yeah, that place is ridiculous. There's so much stuff out there. Yes. And then I have this place. And let me find it because I don't know exactly where it is. Hold on. Isn't it like hot chicken or something? Oh, yeah. That's at the North Market. The hot chicken's really, really good. Definitely check that out. The Greek place? Yes, it's a Greek place. And they sell, it's like a subway where you walk in and you're like, what do you want? And you're like, I'll take, you know, a sandwich or a salad. And then like you add all the stuff to it, you know, and it's so good. While Natasha's trying to figure this out, I'm going to tell you a little story. The When we went last year to Origins, she was like, we got to go eat at this place. I was like, whatever, I'm down to go wherever. So we get there and we get in line and Natasha starts talking to the person that's, you know, taking our order. And she's just raving about, she's like, I love this place so much. This place is so good. You guys do such a good job just just buttering them up. The (laughs) guy's like, have you tried these? And she's like, no, I've never tried these. Have you tried these? No, I've never tried that. Just give them to her. Just let them have her. So she ends up with like all this like free food. Yeah. (laughs) Because she was talking. I'm a fan. (laughs) It's because of the free food. Yeah, they treat me well. Every time I've gone there, I've gotten something free. They're, this place is amazing. They make their own pop. Um, the food is amazing. But I don't know what it's called. i got to figure this out. Hold on. Apparently, it's that good that you don't know. I only go there once a year. Brassica. It's B-R-A-S-S-I-C-A. Sandwich and salads. It's so good. They've got fresh veggies. Like, I don't know. I'm going to go there. I love it. And I'm going to make Bob go again. Yeah, I'll go. I want to try that hot chicken place again. That was good. Yeah. Hot chicken's up uh, in the North Market. It's upstairs in the corner. It's really good. You have to check it out, especially if you like spicy food. There's also a pizza place that's like right across the convention uh, center Mm -hmm. that they do slices. That place was really good, too. Yeah, they had unique unique pizza. It was like five bucks. You had a giant slice of pizza. It was quick and easy. Yeah, they have some of your like basic fare, but then they have some additional like cool, different style of pizza or whatever. Yeah, it was it was definitely really good. Okay, so another thing that they did prior is they would charge for events, and this year it's all included. Most of them are included in your ticket price, so you can sign up for these events for free. And there's a ton of events you can sign up for, and a lot of them you can sign up to play play games where they'll teach you. Some of them are play to win, and some of them are. Well, learn to play so you can kind of pick which ones you want to do if you want to play to win your favorite games. But it's also a great opportunity to learn new games. So we signed up for a few games that we're going to play that I'm excited about um, learning. One of them is Planet Unknown. Another one is on uh, Origins of Species. I kind of wanted to learn that. Nobody has that in our board gaming group. So I'm excited to learn that game. So there's a few events that we've signed up for. And well, we're signed up for the Orleans tournament. Yep, I'm excited about that. So that'll that'll be interesting to see how that goes. I'm sure I'll get my butt kicked, but that's okay. I like the game, so it'll be fun to play. I'm expecting you to go all the way. <laughs> Just keep your expectations where they belong, nice and low. Fair enough, I will. Oh, um, also doing the math trade, which I'm excited about. I did that last year as well. Um, I put a whole bunch of games up for trade. And you pick a bunch of games that you want, and then it kind of spits out this algorithm. And then everybody shows up Saturday morning with just a ton of games, and you hold up the sign with your username, and you kind of go around trying to find all the people who owe you games and the people you owe them games. And that's a lot of fun. I'm excited to see if I get any good trades from that. Um, there's the flea market, which um, you can sell games online and you know meet people there as well, too. It's a good place to, to buy and sell games. Yeah, I've never done it. I've heard it's cool. I might actually check it out this year, but I don't know. Just if I'm getting rid of games, a lot of times I just want to like sell them. I don't necessarily want to trade them for other things. I don't know. It's it. I've heard it's super cool and you need to check it out at least Mm -hmm. once. It's so fun. Like you don't, you don't get everything you want, but you might get a few and it's just fun to see what you get. You just got to be picky. That's the only thing you just don't want to go through and like pick everything. You know what I mean? If I remember correctly, because I tried looking at it last year and the the system that you use it, like it's not as streamlined of a process to pick the games you want and everything like that. I think it's a little bit more cumbersome to do it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I remember yeah. looking at it and being like, eh, I mean. It's not super easy to use. It's called Abcorn, A-B-E-C-O-R-N. 
and yeah, you just go in and um, pick, you know, add things to your wish list. And then there's this whole matrix you have to do. You're like, I'm willing to trade this game for this game, but I'm not going to trade this game. So there's it's definitely like a, a little work to it, right? Yeah. It, um, start, it starts in just two days from this recording. So by the time this episode airs, the mass trade will be over. Um, but definitely worth checking out next year if you haven't done it yet. You know, if you just put a few games up there, it's kind of fun. Yeah, just to kind of see what you get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because you would think you would want to know what you're getting right now. Considering <laughs> like that's your thing, right? You know, future problems for the future, right? Oh, oh, why do I like this? Yeah, but this is fun. This is like, ooh, like what am I going to get? And it's like, I'm going to find out in two days. Oh, my God. And plus everything on there, I, everything I've added to my wish list, I want. And then, th- you know, I'm, I'm willing to part with all the things that I put up there. It's fun. Yeah, I like I said last year, I didn't actually go to it. Just I felt like I needed to sleep a little longer. This is what's like Saturday at like nine a.m. or something, mm-hmm. and we had a couple late nights. So, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe I'll check it out this year. See what's all about. All right. Well, that's our plan for Origins. Hopefully, we see you there. If so, please say hi. If not, maybe we'll check it, see you at another convention. Yeah, please. Like I said, if you see us, like come say hi. That would be awesome. Yeah, well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. That's our show for this week. Join us next week where we're going to talk about games we've never played that we need to play. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week.